0: This is Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. It's powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in-person, and anywhere in between. To get an extended 30-day trial, visit shopify.com masters. Hey entrepreneurs, my name is Felix and I'm the host of the Shopify Masters podcast. Each week, we put out podcast interviews with successful e-commerce entrepreneurs or experts to give you inspiration, motivation, and actionable tips to increase your traffic and sales so your store can generate the sales you need to live the life you want. On the last episode, Hunter Molzen from barbellapparel.com told the story of how he bootstrapped the business that has now sold over 40,000 pairs of pants. In this episode, you'll learn from one of the chillest seven-figure business owners that's built a business where he doesn't even work every day. In this episode, you'll learn why your business becomes less flexible when you increase your product catalog, how getting creative with themed promo codes helps drive sales, and how to attract customers to buy directly from you instead of another marketplace by offering bundled deals. Today, I'm joined by Shazim Mohammed from Glorious PC Gaming Race at pcgamingrace.com. Glorious PC Gaming Race brings top of the line PC gaming modification hardware and accessories and was started in 2014 in Besa, Dallas, Texas. Welcome.
1: Hey, nice to be
0: on. Yeah, excited to have you on. So um, yeah, tell us a little bit more about your store and what are some of the most popular products that you sell?
1: All right. So I'm 26 years old. Uh, I graduated last year from college. And um, I'm one of those guys that I realized when I was in school that the corporate life really wasn't for me. And during my last year, during my last year doing my master's, uh, I kind of jumped into the e-commerce business world. And uh, I came across, basically founded my company, Glorious PC Gaming Race. I'm going to explain what it is because not be, people that aren't gamers don't typically know what it is. And mm-hmm. it actually was inspired uh, through something known as the PC Master Race, which... Um, I don't know. Are you a Felix? Are you a PC gamer?
0: I'm not a PC gamer, but I know of this. I guess kind of meme or this. Uh, I guess uh, like you're saying, it's an inside thing within uh, PC gaming. Yeah, but yeah, elaborate for the for the audience. Yeah.
1: So the PC master race. It, it kind of um, it's really popular on Reddit. There's this community on Reddit where it's really popular, but the origins were somewhere from somewhere else. But it's the idea that um, PC gamers are the elite upper class of gaming uh that is the true way to properly be a gamer whereas uh console gamers are more like peasants per se it's like the (laughs) inferior form of gaming and it's our task our duty as pc gamers to guide these peasants or console gamers to you know the quote-unquote path of enlightenment and find the you know true way to game and like you said, there's lots of memes and memes and puns associated with this theme. Uh, like, for example, our PC setup that we have, uh, we typically refer to them as our battle station or our shrines. And, you know, some people call that. And uh, it's it's cool because there's like a it's like a it's very uh, thematic. And we have like this little hierarchy, hierarchy of, you know types of gamers, like at the lowest branch, you have the filthy console peasants, which are like um, the console gamers that refuse to believe PC gaming is anything, you know, better. And then one up, we will we'll have the Apple heathens, which are, you know, Apple gaming is not really, you know, there's not that many games for Apple products. So it's it's there. And then one up from that, you have the Notebook Nobles, which are the guys that think gaming on a laptop. Nowadays, as technology becomes better, it's changing. But it's still one step below the ultimate level, which you want to be at, is PC gaming, which is, you know, you have elementary freedom, full modularity, and it's the true way of gaming. Mm. So that is the theme behind all of this. And what I did was I kind of, you know, I came into I mean, I've always been a PC gamer and I was kind of inspired by this. I was like, oh my god, this is amazing. And I kind of branched it off to a different uh, brand known as Glorious PC Gaming Race trying and keeping it politically correct and trying to differentiate myself from the community just a little bit. So I'm not like jumping on the exact, something that was already created.
0: Mm, so, makes sense.
1: And, you know, as, and as PC, glorious PC gaming race, we create uh, uh, products for PC gamers, such as our most popular items are like extended mouse pads and uh, wrist pads. And these aren't like your normal small mouse pad. These are like three foot by two foot mouse pads. These are huge. And it appeals to, you know, variety of gamers and, you know, a lot of graphic designers and stuff like that. There's various uses for a super large mouse pad. And recently we launched our first tech product, which is a uh, mechanical keyboard, and we've been excited about that.
0: Very cool, yeah. So I, I'm an avid Redditor, so I, I, I follow a lot of the, like you're saying, the Battle Station subreddit, and, and probably um, you know, there's tons of other ones that you're, I'm sure, a part of. But just your explanation just now explains so much about about that whole ecosystem. I think that's really cool that you've been able to to locate, identify such a passionate niche. You know, because there's all of these, like you're saying, all these names that they give themselves, and all of these kind of hierarchies. Even though it's kind of tongue and cheek in, in some in some regards, it's still very passionate that They've been able to build or build all of these uh, nicknames for each other, so I think that's uh, very cool that you've been able to identify this and build a business off of it. So, did you have uh, experience prior to uh, launching a glorious PC gaming race, or did you was was this your very first entrepreneurial uh, pursuit?
1: For a specific e commerce, yeah, this was my first uh, experience. Um, throughout college, I ran like several websites and worked on some PC games and stuff like that. So, um, there wasn't any kind of, this was basically my real first entrepreneur e-commerce type, uh, focus going forward. Mm,
0: Cool. So, you know, you mentioned a bunch of different products I'm seeing here that the mouse mat, like you're saying, uh, the keyboard. So did you start with a bunch of products at once or did you focus on just one product at launch?
1: How I found my first product, my first product was my extended mouse mat and, I was browsing Reddit and and I think it was actually on the Battle Station subreddit where I saw some guy was using like a gun mat, which is basically used for guns, like how to assemble or clean a gun or something like that. People were using that as a mouse pad. And I was like, yo, this is interesting. People are using a gun mat as a mouse pad. Why not? Why isn't there something specifically focused? You know, why isn't there like a real big market for it? And there was already an existing market. There was already, you know, it's by no means is it a new and innovative idea. It's an existing idea. But I looked at, you know, the current extended mats that were out there. And I basically looked to see what was wrong with them. I was just like seeing what people were complaining about. And, you know, there was just different types of surfaces, there's different weaves, there's different like, quality control issues and stuff like that. And I kind of uh, took a chance. I was like, hey, you know what, let me just try this out, see where it takes me and settled with the brand name, found a good brand name, which is Glorious PC Gaming Race, and kind of just rolled with it. Mm -hmm. And I started off with one product. When that started being successful, I scaled to like five or six products. When that became successful, I doubled, and then I kind of grew from there.
0: Mm, That's awesome.
1: I think in, okay, so in about two years, this is the second year, we started in August 2014, so it's been about two years. Uh, we went from one product to about 25,
0: 26 products. Wow. So definitely want to talk a little bit more and a bit about the difficulties and challenges about doing that because um, you know, a lot of stores, well, first, a lot of stores do make the mistake, I think, of launching too many things at once. You, it sounded like you kind of just try to get your 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 feet wet at first, found success, and then started scaling up from there. So definitely want to talk about that in a second. Uh, but you mentioned that in order to first find your very first product you took you didn't take an innovative idea like you said like you're saying it already existed there was already a market for it there are already people using alternatives like these gun mats like that 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 you saw people using uh, uh, for their for their mouse mats um but you also mentioned that you're able to identify what people were complaining about and then uh i guess building your product around solving those complaints so tell us a little more about this like how did you Find out what people are complaining about. How did you use that information to influence, I guess, the direction of of your company?
1: So, being a PC gamer myself, uh, it wasn't hard for me to see what people were complaining about. Um, You know, you can. I bought the products that people were using. I was like, "Ooh, I can improve it this way." Or uh, it's it, it kind of it was almost to the point where i it's just like what would i want to see or how would i be using my product like i use all my products i create because i'm a gamer and this is what i would like to see and you know to some, there's like i don't like saying that price was one of the issues because some you know like you can find similar products for like 40 bucks when i first started out um but price was an issue uh one of the things that we differ differently was um a lot of like i play a lot of fps games like counter-strike and you know when you're playing counter-strike on lower sensitivities for your mouse you move your mouse you need more surface area and that depending on your mouse like it becomes really really sensitive you know like the surf like everything becomes really really sensitive like. How, how much friction there is? How smooth is it from left to right as compared to up and down? Do you have more control one way as, as compared to another way? Uh, how does it? How does the cloth develop over time as you break into it? So there's a lot of factors like that that were really important to consider when designing a mouse pad. And, you know, someone that isn't in that, Market or never even think about it that, you know, wow, breaking into a mousepad I've never, you know, that wouldn't even cross your mind, but those are all important things that you kind of have to consider and play around with. And it was just a matter of honestly, this experimentation, and you know, I contacted a bunch of suppliers, and I was like, okay, let's do this, let's make it this way. They made it, I tried it for a little bit, if I didn't like it, I'd be like, okay, I want to change this, this, and this, and this, and kind of, you know, changed it and refined it to what we liked, and um luckily for the marketplace that i'm the market that i'm catering to it's a bunch of tech dudes like you know like you and me and um we're pretty vocal we're pretty tech savvy so getting feedback from these kind of customers is really really easy Mm -hmm. and you know they're gamers so you know if you talk to a gamer like a gamer they're going to give you the response so we've what I think we're lucky for lucky with is that we get really, really good feedback and really, really good suggestions from our customers, and you know, and we take that into account, and we're constantly improving our products based off of you know what people are saying to us. So we were able to you know, being a small company, we're more flexible. So we were able to quickly you know, release the product, release version one, make the changes we needed, and then come out with version two and you know, version three and so forth as you know, time went on.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's something to be said there about looking for a market that will give you that kind of feedback, like the blunt feedback that I think you're referring to. That gamers, anybody that's in the tech industry, they're very vocal, they're very uh, opinionated and ready to offer their opinions, even sometimes one that's not solicitous. So I think when you are, you kind of, I guess you kind of fell into this because you're already a, a member of that community. Uh, but if someone out there is looking for a business to start, I think it is important to find a, a, an, an audience or a particular market that is going to help you develop your product and is going to be willing to give you that feedback. So when you were working with these suppliers to build out the first uh, product, the, the, the mouse mat, were you the only beta tester or did you have other people that you wanted to get these mats out to for them to try it out as well?
1: I was the only one. I, I knew what I was looking for. Um, for a mouse pad, it wasn't really necessary. Um, you know, We sent out a bunch of review samples when we kind of got our first batch per se to kind of get you know interest in taking pre-orders and stuff like that but for the most part it was kind of it's always been my uh decision Mm
0: -hmm.
1: on testing and what i felt like was appropriate
0: cool yeah and and one of the kind of gifts and the curse with again this this audience of, of of techies is that uh they are also kind of um i guess hesitant or at least cautionary when it comes to Businesses, right? They're always thinking about, you know, our business trying to not, not necessarily have a negative look outlook uh, outlook on businesses, but at least um, a little more suspicious, right? Of businesses and, and marketing, all of that. Did you have to, did you encounter those kind of issues early on? Like people were wondering, like, you know, this is this guy actually a part of the community or not? Or, or is he just trying to come in and, and make a buck? I,
1: I was kind of always part of the community when I started. It, it was like I was... Uh, I've always been a Redditor per se and I was like, I was, I wasn't like a guy trying to advertise my business on Reddit. I was kind of a Redditor that started a business through Reddit. And, um, most people were actually surprisingly very receptive, receptive. Um, like for example, like when I started off, you know, when I was just thinking of the logo for my company, I posted it on PC Master Ace. I was like, Hey, what do you guys think? I'm thinking about starting a uh, store themed around the PC Master Race. What are you guys thoughts? And I mean, from there, you know, people gave me feedback on my logo. People kind of suggested, hey, maybe you should drop the Master Race part because it's not really politically correct and stuff. So, you know, of course there were some people that are like, you know, wow, get out, you know, pretty mm-hmm. negative. But for the most part, people were fairly receptive. And, you know, I'm surprised. I remember that post. I'm surprised like to this day, you know, people are, when people on Reddit are talking about my product, they'll always reference that I came in, you know, years ago, two years ago to, uh, you know, some Redditor started it up. So it's always been kind of part of the community. I've never really faced any type of resistance mm. per se.
0: Yeah, I think it helps then that, that you are a part of the community. You can't just drop in. I'm sure that if you, if you just sign up for an account on reddit and all of a sudden start talking about your business without having some something of like history with the community you would have a different uh they would they would receive you differently but i think that you put in the work early on uh, just by being part of that community which helped helped a lot when you wanted to to uh, you know eventually sell to that community um so uh you you mentioned that you know that this was an innovative idea there are already uh, mar- other products out on the market for this why did you feel like you could compete? Did you ever worry about, you know, I'm going up against, not necessarily giants, but you're going up against people that, I guess in a marketplace that already has uh, compet- competition in there?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, it's... Uh, going into just jumping into a gaming category is pretty uh, pretty risky. Um, I never really... I didn't really get into too much of, you know, oh, what if it feels, you know, because if you're too scared to do something, then it's, you never, you don't know until you try it. And I really feel like I did the branding really, really well. Like, I really captured that audience that likes this type of branding and this theme. Uh, and I felt like it's helped me a lot because when I started, like, now, like, for example, on Amazon, right, Amazon's one of the places we sell. Uh, at the time, you know, we'd had a few you know maybe like four or five companies selling them and they're like the big companies and i was like the new guy on the block that came in and um now on amazon you know there's like hundreds of uh chinese sellers that flooded with similar products for you know like for a fraction of the cost that we sell it for obviously they're different products and you know different things but um For us, we never saw a dip in our sales because, you know, and I strongly feel like it was due to the branding and how we presented the products and having extremely high quality pictures and stuff like that. So I think that I think that helped a lot.
0: Yeah, I think uh, that, that brand you're talking about is one of those assets that will just continue to pay off for you uh, in, the long, uh, in the long run. And that's one of the things you mentioned in the pre-interview about one of the keys to your success is your ability to build this brand. Uh, so can you say a little bit more about that? Like, What does it mean to you to, to build a brand? Did you come out purposefully with, uh, you know, in your head, this is the brand I want and then executed on that? Like, Tell us about your like, your thought process when it comes to building a brand
1: branding i think branding is everything and if you don't have a brand you don't have a business i would argue that if you sold a thousand products and made like pennies on it but had the prospects of going into a bigger brand based in the future it would be worth it because you're creating your brand any negative complaint or criticism you get is an opportunity for you to you know Handle that customer, make them happy, and they'll be like, you know, amazing customer service, awesome people. You know, it's kind of like the Amazon philosophy, right? Everyone knows on Amazon that, hey, Amazon has the best returns ever because you can literally return anything. So, you know, that's what we do. We just take a return for whatever. We, like, don't question it. And most of the time, you know, the customers really, really, I mean, at the end of the day, if you ever have a complaint, the customer is, you know, they're looking for a refund. And they're happy about it and you know that customer would go on reddit or whatever community they're from and you know but like do these guys have the best customer service ever or whatnot so branding i think is the key to everything and um it's like we had like issues when we first started off because glorious pc gaming race in our logo in itself isn't really standard it's um it's kind of, it's kind of uh, loud. It's not very minimalistic, per se. Um, it's not simple. And people are like, this isn't going to work. This is stupid. Like, anyone you would show, they'd be like, this isn't how you run a business. You can't have this. But I was like, hey, why not? You know, if everyone in the world is going through a minimalistic logo, let me be different and have something that's loud, a little bit louder, and a little bit, you know, eye-catching. And, you know to you know and as i expected our customers responded most of the customers like yeah we bought your product because of your branding or i love your branding it made me laugh or something like that so you know i used it to my advantage i tried to be a little bit different try to be a little bit loud and you know people really liked it mm-hmm. and um one of the things we do and it works out really well for us is that anytime we have like a sale or something we use uh mm-hmm. you know a relevant promo code which kind of people like you know like for example uh back when dj Khalid was really popular we'd had a promo code with uh you the best or something mm-hmm. for one of our promo codes and you know people like on Reddit were like chewing that up they're like oh my god this is hilarious and you know we would get views just because of the promo code and you know that having that type of uh having that type of presence of being you know different and loud it's people really respond to it so yeah, branding I
0: think is everything. Mm. So did you did you purposefully and did you take a calculated approach to building your brand or is just something that kind of organically developed over time?
1: What do you mean by calculated?
0: Yeah, just like, um, you know, let's say someone is uh, just started their business and they listen to this podcast and hear about the importance of brand building, which is something that, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs talk about as well. So it's definitely, uh, I've heard time and time again, a very key aspect of building a sustainable and defensible business. But then when they sit down and say, "Okay, I want to build a brand, like where do I begin? Like How do I even, it's such a, a, I guess, such a large undertaking what do you do? Let Let me ask a different different way then. What do you do on a daily basis to ensure that you are building a brand?
1: So I didn't have like a grand plan when I started. Uh, there wasn't like a definite approach, but I did the stuff that I know I needed to do. Like for example, um, obviously anyone going to e-commerce would be a fool not to get on Amazon. But that being said, you know, building your business on Amazon you're setting yourself up for failure. Uh, you can't build a business in someone else's playground. And, you know, when I started off, I always had my site, my Shopify site and my Amazon store. Like always, I kept both of them updated at all times. Like you just, you just can't. And that helped, I think a lot in, you know, you have, you know, Instagram and Facebook and you're building your email list. Like on our Instagram page, uh we post pe- pictures of people's uh gaming setups but only of people that are using our products and uh we started off slowly uh you know we you know we found pictures you know people on reddit post set up, like on battle stations most a lot of people use our products and you know we just take it and then credit them and then upload it to instagram and we usually try to do a picture a day. And we grew kind of from, you know, zero followers to 35K about followers. And, uh, you know, people found us through that. And they're like, you know, it, you start seeing like the, you start seeing it pay off. And, you know, when you kind of integrate it within the community and take part of discussions and stuff like that, you know, a lot of people are always recommending our brands because they've heard about it through Reddit and stuff like that. So a lot of word of mouth uh, is being used. Uh, to kind of build a brand. So, I mean, there's not a magic bullet or formula. Uh, It really depends on your type of audience. Like for me, it was, I have a really, really techie audience. So it wasn't too bad to cater to that crowd because I was kind of like them and I kind of was in the places they were at.
0: Mm. So it sounds like when you're building a brand, is it just an extension of who you already are or do you have to not necessarily do things that don't represent you? But for example, when it, when you came to this crossroads with your logo and you said minimalism, minimalist designs, uh, logos were were in, but you decided to go for something louder. Was that decision just based on doing something different than what other people were doing or was it an extension of... I guess, yourself?
1: It was an extended to myself. But I was just like, hey, if I saw this, would I buy it? Or mm-hmm. like, hey, mm-hmm. if I put this in, you know, a group with this stick out, I was like, yeah, you know, why not? It's a little bit different. It's, you know, I wouldn't have an issue, you know, just because, you know, some professional running some, you know, company thinks that it has to be minimalistic for whatever reason. I mean, it was just, I never saw it as a, Mm,
0: makes sense cool so um yeah you mentioned that you also sell on amazon was this something that you launched at the same time as your store or did you do one before the other
1: same time i always had the shopify side and amazon at the same
0: time mm, okay cool so for anyone else out there that is thinking about it has your store for example and they're thinking about opening up another sales channel and by going amazon or some other marketplace what's your experience been on on there like how is this how is selling on amazon different than selling through your your own store
1: amazon is like a necessary evil uh it's one of those things that now, right now, it's you just have to be on there. I mean, it'll, it'll be guaranteed to increase your sales, but you're never really going to build your customer base and audience. That being said, I mean, like our Amazon, like our our products, like we have about like two thousand reviews that aren't fake, by the way, and stuff. So we're actually like really, really, we're we're doing really well on Amazon. It's FBA is so hard to compete with. Like you, it is so difficult to compete with FBA. Um, we, like our products are stored in the fulfillment center in Salt Lake City. Um, but the, you know, FBA's reach is so powerful and so many people use Amazon just to search for products that it can't be ignored. That being said, we have had our share of headaches on Amazon. Like, you know, you send an inventory, it takes forever, your product listing change, changed, something hijacked, you go out of stock, you lose money. You know, you can't take pre-orders. So there's been its slew of headaches that come with Amazon that Shopify does not have. But, you know, we're, we still have both stores open. We have a lot of international customers that buy through our site, uh, our Shopify site. Um, we are able to do more such as combo deals and, you know, flexible pricing and flexible promo code and stuff like that through
0: our site directly. Mm. So one thing I've heard from other stores that have done this uh, combination of Shopify plus Amazon is that their customers that buy on Amazon are die hard, like hardcore Amazon shoppers. And they'll always buy on Amazon. And even if they, you know, buy 10 products from this company, they'll never come over and buy directly from the store. Do you have this experience as well? Do you find people that buy on Amazon that eventually, I guess, uh, check out your store or buy directly from your store? Uh, or do they tend to stick with one channel versus the other?
1: Being a tech... Techie audience, uh, they usually look to see where it's cheaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, everyone does, you know, window shopping, you know, especially gamers. They're going to look to see. It's, gamers usually buy stuff online. Uh, and they'll look to compare, shop, you know, shop around and see where they can find the cheapest price. And, you know, they see the short taking PayPal and it's cheaper than they usually would, you know, go for whatever option is cheaper. Uh, we don't really have any kind of allegiance per se to amazon as compared to shopify our shopify store of course there are some people that would really be willing to support a small business and buy directly from us which is always appreciated but we don't really have anything like that but we have noticed when we do go out of stock on something on amazon we do see an increase in our own sites like our sales on our own site for that particular uh SKU. but for the most part it's not a it's not any brand, brand, brand allegiance or anything
0: like that. Mm-hmm. Okay, makes sense. And this uh, this issue, not, I guess not necessarily issue, but this uh, trait of your customers where they are, uh, I guess, super price sensitive, where they will hunt for the cheaper price, even if it's just a couple of dollars. Uh, how do you, I guess, manage that? Like, do you constantly try to adjust prices to make sure that? Things are always matched up. Like, how do you manage? Um, I guess running a business on two different sales channels where the customers are going to be looking around for a cheaper price.
1: We uh, we priced our products the same on Amazon in our own site. Like, so for example, one of our mouse pads is twenty three ninety nine on Amazon with pre prime shipping, and one of our products is twenty three ninety nine. The same product is twenty three ninety nine on our own site plus shipping, which is about five bucks. So, I mean. If you don't have Prime, it doesn't really make a difference for you. I think it's actually cheaper on our site by a few cents. Um, But we just—if you're searching on Amazon, we don't—we're not even like we're not even catering to you for our side. There's people that don't use Amazon that use Google exclusively to find our products and stuff like that. So you know, we just cater to people that find us through Google. We don't really—we don't really try to take customers from Amazon that are using Amazon to find us per se.
0: Yeah, I was gonna ask. You know, if people are searching for your products through Google, do you is it are you competing? I guess uh, in search rankings between your Amazon listing and uh, your product page on your site.
1: Uh, Yeah, we do. Uh, I think our Amazon page is listed higher, but it depends on what you're searching for. Usually, Mm -hmm. people come across from come across us. One way, one thing we do is we try to offer like a bundle deal. Usually, you know, like, hey, buy this, this, this item and you get like a bundle deal and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are things we use to try to sway people to buy from us directly as compared to Amazon. But we don't really make much of an effort to take Amazon customers and have them come to us.
0: Makes sense. And you mentioned earlier that it's uh, so hard to compete with uh, FBA or, or fulfillment by Amazon. Can you say, say a little bit more about that? Like, what do you mean um, by competing and why is it difficult?
1: Mainly for shipping logistics, uh, shipping logistics wise. So when you send, obviously, you know, when you send inventory to Amazon, Amazon usually distributes it towards their warehouses along the U.S. And because of that, they're able to keep their prices lower. Whereas mm-hmm. if someone is using, uh, you know, people always say, oh, but FBA fees are so high, so high. Well, it's like, yeah, but, you know, the shipping cost, you're not including the shipping cost. But like for us, like our warehouse is in uh, Utah, um, the West Coast. It's, it's basically West Coast. So anything going from like Utah to someone in New York, you know, it's really, really expensive to send it out because we send all of stuff through DHL. So it's like, you know, 10 or 11 bucks. Whereas if it's on, if we're sending it on Amazon, it's, you know, it's five bucks or something like that. So that, uh, that difference does make a huge, uh, disparities. Cause sometimes, you know, most of our, I think I would say most of our items, uh, on our site actually go for more, like they cost more to ship out than it does wow. on Amazon, which is, you know, it's, it's not really a problem people consider till they scale large enough. So like, one way to counter that would be to have two warehouses, one on the East Coast, one on the West Coast, and kind of, you know, filter out which way to do it. But, you know, splitting your inventory like that is very difficult to manage.
0: Mm, yeah, I can imagine. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about uh, scaling up the the product line. So you, you started out with the, the the extended mouse mat. What was the uh, next product that you added? And how did you know that what product to roll out next? So
1: we wanted to synergize all of our products. And, um, luckily, like a lot of people always gave us recommendations as like, Hey, can you come out with this? Hey, can you come out with this? And a lot of people asked us to come out with some kind of a wrist pad or a wrist dress for like a keyboard and a mouse. So we're like, hey, yeah, sure. We'll come out with something like that. And then, you know, we kind of looked at the competitors. We looked at the current, uh, current ones available on the market. And they were just like, they were so ugly. I mean, who wants like a long, you know, banana-shaped wrist pad on the computer? Mm -hmm. It looks disgusting. It looks ugly. Uh, We are like, hey, let's make something cooler. Let's make something nicer. Let's make something different. So we came out with one of our wrist pads uh, specifically for people that use a mechanical keyboard. And... um, I used to have carpal tunnels, so I kind of knew what I was looking I mean, any game guy that's sitting on the computer all day would eventually develop carpal tunnel at some point. So, you know, we looked into proper ergonomics, this and that, see what would make a good wrist pad. And, um, yeah, we came out with a product. People really, really liked it, and it's one of our strongest selling products currently available. And it's nice because, you know, the same branding as our mouse pad, and it looks like it it looks really good. Everything looks really good together.
0: Yeah, I, I guess that's the best way to get ideas on what, what to uh, launch next, just based on what your customers are practically demanding from you. Uh, so once you decided uh, based on the feedback, based on uh, customers emailing you, reaching out to you that uh, the wrist pads were the next thing to go for, how did you roll it out? Like, how did you introduce this new product to uh, to your, I guess, to your audience, to your customers when they've you know only known you, I guess, at that time for for uh, mouse mats.
1: Yeah, uh just posted on Reddit, man. Uh, it was just like, hey, we came out with a new wrist pad. And we, I think we did a giveaway. We were like, hey, we came out with a new wrist pad, and we're giving away X-News for free. If you're interested, comment. And here it is for sale if you want to spot one. And here's a promo code. That gives you like 50% off. So... At that point, the point wasn't to make money. It was more mainly to uh, you know get traction going, and that's what we did. And we just uh, you know people started looking at it, and people I asked people to start reviewing it, and contacted redditors, said like, hey, I'll send you a free sample if you post a review about our wrist pad, and you know people started doing that, and you know word kind of spread from there. And it's really just word of mouth. Most of our stuff that we did has been successful through word of mouth and kind of integrating into the community and, you know, people post their experiences and feedbacks and stuff
0: like that. So one of the other products that you now have in your in your line of products is the mechanical keyboard. And this seems like a big step up in, in uh, I guess, manufacturing and technology above what you're doing before. Was it just as easy to just roll this out? Like, what was the process behind, behind that product?
1: Yeah, so... It's one of those things that you kind of have to build up to. I would never recommend anyone starting off to ever do an electronic product because of all the certificates and hoops you have to jump through, unless you have a lot of capital to work with. Uh, and this keyboard is innovative. It's our first patent-pending product, and um, it was kind of... You know, this was a different sub-community. This is the our mechanical keyboards community, and I was kind of, i was always been a part of it. And it's a very passionate community about keyboards. And, you know, one of the things I noticed was, I was like, hey, you know, every keyboard is locked. There's different types of switches available for mechanical keyboards, and different flavors that alter your typing experience, and all of them are hardwired. So if you wanted to try a different typing experience with a different type of keyboard, you'd have to buy a completely new keyboard. And what we did was make it just modular where you can just buy a switch and just easily swap them out by yourself without having to buy another keyboard. And, you know, we had a jump through, you know, a bunch of samples and testing over and over again and quality control issues. And then licensing like, uh, um, like FCC certification and all that good stuff. And, you know, a lot of legalities and stuff to go through to kind of make this happen, but we did, and it came out. And we're working on promoting it right now. And it's a little bit, it's a little bit harder to sell than a mouse pad or a you know wrist pad, which is like twenty dollars product. This is like a hundred dollar product range. But you know, we've contacted we contacted a bunch of YouTube reviewers and stuff like that. So we have gotten the word out there about it. And you know. Already, people are asking us for, hey, can you do this? Can, you, can we have this type of product now and stuff like that, like alterations to this product, which we eventually will roll out within the future. But you know, people like it, and it's it's a little bit slower to sell. But with our current existing line and synergy with our products, you know, we were able to offer like a combo deal, which people really react to really well. And um, yeah, it's it's definitely a step up. But once you kind of get through it, it's not that bad.
0: Mm. Why do you think it is harder to sell a product like this? Do you, do, do you find that it is because it is a more complicated product? Or what is it about uh, a product like this that's harder to sell than what you're selling before?
1: Uh, I would say I would argue half. I would argue partially that mechanical keyboards is a more saturated market than NOSPAD surprisingly. Uh there are more options available and there's mm. a lot this is just a lot of different features. you're comparing a lot of different features mm. with a lot of different features. You know, you have, you know, keyboard A that has features, you know, A through Z and you have keyboards B that has features one through twenty six. And you know, it's more research and slower on that part for, you know, a customer to kind of, you know, mix and matches there's a lot of options the user has to consider and it's harder to capture you know what someone is specifically
0: looking for yeah, I think that 's a really good point about the more features there are, the harder it can be to sell just because you have to hit on so many different things, uh, because people just have so many preferences once they have all these options available and all these features that they can look at that then you know they 're comparing yours against you know, so many other uh, possibilities I think that that 's a really good point when you're when the the, the uh, gaming mat and the the, the, the uh, wrist pad. Those are solving like one kind of almost key problem that someone has, and I think it makes it a lot easier to sell than a keyboard, which could be solving for different markets. So I think that's a really good point. Um, so when you did start adding these uh, more products, maybe not even the mechanical keyboard at that time, but all these different, uh, I guess, um, I guess products that you're building up to the keyboard, did you run into any problems that you maybe didn't expect uh, before you started expanding the product line?
1: No, not particularly. Uh, I would say the hardest thing about having a large product line is managing stock and inventory levels. Uh, that becomes increasingly more complicated. But apart from that, no. I would also say that the bigger your product line, the harder, the less, the less flexible you are. Like for example, if I decided, hey, I want, like at some point we decided, hey, we needed to change our logo, or make a refinement to our logo well that meant okay we have to go through like 20 different products 20 different packaging you know it's a lot of work to make Mm. a small change to something so critical that spans all your product lines
0: Mm.
1: so it it becomes makes you less flexible and inventory management becomes even a bigger concern if you're not organized
0: yeah, and what about like when it comes to the marketing and advertising? I know that you said that word of mouth seems to be uh, the, the key for you guys, but when you're on Instagram or on, on just putting out your stuff out there, maybe organically, does it become harder when you have so many different products that you could be promoting?
1: We don't actually ever specifically promote one product. Uh, not until this keyboard came into existence that we didn't heavily start promoting the keyboard. Uh, Never had to actually go out of my way to shove a product down like my Instagram followers' throats or anything like that. Uh, don't really post any kind of sales on there. we just kind of there uh, per se. We could. I haven't experimented with that. We do. We have started playing around with Google ads and Facebook ads and stuff like that. But for the most part, it's kind of the idea that if you have a good product, people will come to you. And um you know present it in a proper way, and you know get some traction a little bit of traction going and it helps a lot, so mm-hmm. no, we never really specifically push the product with heavy advertising
0: mm-hmm. yeah, so if you're not promoting or pushing these products, uh what are you putting out there like what kind of content are you putting out there that uh, that gets people to eventually check out the the site, the store, and then you know hopefully eventually buy
1: you know one of the largest places that people find us is on our battle stations, you know, people that buy our product would, you know, people post pictures of their setup and they'll see a mouse pad or a wrist pad. be like, ooh, where'd you get that? Ooh, where'd you get that? I mean, it's not very common to see a two foot by three foot mouse pad. And someone immediately can look at that and be like, hey, what's this? And then, you know, usually some of the other Redditor will be like, oh, I got it from Reddit. Here's a link to buy it. And, you know, people, several hundred people will read that and come to us. They'll buy it. They'll post it on our battle stations or whatever. And it kind of works like that. So in a way it's made my life easier because I don't have to specifically go out of my way to do any kind of marketing to kind of get you know try to pull in more people that being said if I did it probably would help even more but I'm fine the way the business is going right now where I feel like I don't need to be doing that I can focus on expanding my product line and making you know uh kind of like having like a pool like a complete set of products that I would like to have
0: Mm. yeah I think that's another kind of uh key um i guess thing to consider when you are starting a business or thinking about what kind of business what kind of market to get into is that you are you know selling a product to people that are excited to share that product uh, you know yeah. you're essentially selling to passionate like gearheads you know it could be it doesn't have to be, you know, um, uh, I guess uh, gaming accessories it could be photography, like anything that people are super excited to talk about the products themselves and they're not just buying it and, you know, using it without being excited to talk about it or share. It. I think because you're able to sell a product that are, that makes people excited to share, it makes it a lot easier for you to market for free, you know, by word of mouth. It does,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah it sure. does.
0: Cool. So can you give us an idea of how successful the business is today, you know, two years in, like give us an idea of, um, you know, the growth or success of the business.
1: So we started off one product and it became largely successful. We introduced, you know, a couple more products. All those became successful. And now we have about 20, 25 products and all of those became successful. And uh, for 2016, we've broken the seven figure line uh and we're going into q4 really really strong and um so far so good It's
0: keeps going yeah, very cool so you know speaking of q4 obviously a very big uh, season that a lot of listeners out there that have stores are preparing for anything that you are doing in preparation for this holiday uh, shopping season
1: uh yeah uh last year we had the misfortune of going out of stock around early November. So it was really hard to gauge because you didn't really have the, you know, data first year. You don't really have the data to understand what your Q4 is. And then your second time you kind of are scared. You're like, okay, you this can can't go out of stock again. So, you know, you order a lot of inventory. So, I mean, at this point, if you're not, if you haven't ordered by now, it's too late. Most likely for Q4. Um, or it's just getting just about there. But what we did was we ordered just a crap ton of inventory in August and it'll be here by uh, it'll be here by October and we're just gonna, you know, send it off where it needs to go and then be prepared for the various promotions that Amazon does and the various promotions that we're gonna have on our site on, you know, like Cyber Monday and stuff like that, which is our biggest days.
0: Very cool. So, um, what, what kind of tools and apps do you use to help run the business? Whether it be the store, because I, I see a couple of things on the site now, like a a help chat. I see this thing on the side too, where it says uh, it gets notifications when someone purchases uh, a product on the site. Uh, can you can you share what what apps you use um, to help run or I guess how automate pieces of the the store?
1: Yeah. So um, the two big apps are the one really big up, I guess we use is stitch labs, stitch labs we use to uh, kind of manage our inventory and that's pretty popular. It is pricey, but I think once you get to the level where losing inventory hurts you a lot, I think it's really beneficial. Um, we use that. Um, we use, uh, Google shopping to kind of sync all of our, all of our feeds to our, um, Google store, which helps a lot. Um, that thing that was popping up, it shows when the sales made was recently, I think recently too. That was, that's, we just, we're just playing around with that. That's a new item. We use bench to do all of our accounting, uh, which is really cool. It's like an outsourced CP. It's like an outsourced bookkeeper essentially. And, it's nice because they pull all the information from Shopify and Amazon and our credit card and PayPal. Any tech purchase that you make, any like electronic purchase that you do, uh, they kind of consolidate all of that and you know do your books for you essentially, which is really important for tax time.
0: And uh, Bench, I've heard good things about them. Did you have a bookkeeper from the get go, or like is that something that you think uh, entrepreneurs should consider at the very beginning?
1: Yeah. I so I used to do it on an Excel sheet, and I quickly realized that that's a nightmare to do. Um, just because, like for example, on Shopify, you you know if you make a purchase on PayPal, then you have to you know take into account the Shopify cut if there's any, or the PayPal cut that it's taking the part of, and you know the various fees, or someone returns something, and it's it's a lot of uh, it's a lot of manual work. It's super organized to be, you know, on top of your taxes because people don't realize how much they cost. Like, at the end of the year, like my first year, I was doing my bookkeeping, and I was just like, oh, my God. When tax time came, I was talking to my CPA. I was like, this can't be right. So I immediately was like, all right, this is something you cannot skimp out on. And Bench helped a lot because I needed something that was, you know, most bookkeepers, if you go to a CPA, they're like, yeah, send me this and send me this extra. Send me this data. Send me this data. Send me this data. I was like, yo, man, is like 2015, <laughs> we don't have. I don't have time to be uh, sending you random documents. Is there some automated solution? And that's where I kind of came across Bench. They automatically pull everything, uh, everything through their API feeds and stuff through the major e-commerce stuff, you know, Amazon, Shopify, anything that anything that you want to basically, you know, you would be selling with. And, uh, it's, it's been, it's been really, really, really organized and helpful to kind of, you know, have that there.
0: Mm, cool. So you have, uh, the outsource fulfillment, you have the, the outsource bookkeeping. Do you have an in-house team? Like, is anyone else working on this besides you?
1: Uh, I just have one VA and the VA, uh, he's awesome. He, I use him to, uh, really answer customer emails and support and stuff like that. Um, he pretty much does that exclusively. He does some of the Instagram posting, uh, the post scheduling for like, you know, finding people are using our setups and stuff and getting them posted. Uh, yeah, he does. That's, that's a good chunk of work
0: he does. Wow. So you have a seven figure business uh, with uh, pretty much just one virtual assistant on your team. That's amazing. So how do you uh, how do you spend your days? Like What are you focused on once you you know wake up in the morning and are ready to start working on the business?
1: I, you know, some days I work, some days I don't. It's literally a four hour work week per se, because, you know, when I started the business, I was like, yo, know, this needs to be as turnkey as possible, because if I'm not able to take off and I want to take off, then what's the point of me doing the business? Wow. And, you know, I, I was really, you know, that, because when I started working, oh, I, so I interned, uh, one summer at some, some IT company and. I quickly realized, I was like, yo, man, this this is not the life for me. <laughs> I literally feel like a slave trapped in this sucks if it's the rest of my life. So when I started my business, I was like, all right, this can't feel like a job for me. And um, it's kind of one of those things that you're always thinking about, you know, when you have a business, you're always thinking about it, always figuring out, always, you know, oh, I can do this, oh, I can do this, oh, I can do this. Ooh, can do this. Um, but typically when I wake up, um check my email i'll browse reddit uh i'll see if there's any critical tasks that need to be done like day-to-day tasks and stuff like that and then usually um by the evening i pretty much do whatever for the rest of the day and then usually by the evening uh, that's usually when the suppliers are awake and that's when we're like either discussing a new product to be made or you know talking to the suppliers to figure out any issues and make any improvements or do some kind of order management and stuff like that. So, it's fairly
0: relaxed, per se. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you made a lot of people jealous by, by saying, uh, explaining your lifestyle there. I think uh, one, one issue that people run into is that they say that they want this four hour work week as well, but they always have, uh, they start making, I guess, progress towards it and, you know, offload things and delegate things. But once they do that, they just kind of fill up their time with other stuff too at the same time. Do you ever feel this kind of urge or maybe even bordering on guilt? to be doing something when you're not i guess doing something for your business
1: uh sometimes i was like uh, i was like hey man am i am i like (laughs) what about because it's kind of weird because you know when you're working you're getting a paycheck every Mm -hmm. uh you know every two weeks or whatnot and you're like okay cool i'm doing something useful but when you're kind of doing a business there's times where you're just like chilling you're like Am I uh, okay? Am I making a correct decision? Because, you know, the business doesn't really grow until you actually put effort into it. And, um, you know, then you look at the sales you have for today and you're like, all right, I'm doing good. <laughs> and, then you just chill, and then you just go back and go back and chill. But um, I, 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 I'm organized and I'm motivated and I kind of know what I need to do, what I need to be doing in this period of time where it's just like, all right, you know. New product is being developed or new product is coming out. It's on to work, 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 work. And other times it's kind of like, you know, everything's good. Just chill. It's in maintenance mode. You know, just keep an eye on stuff. Make sure everything's okay and stuff like that.
0: <laughs> yeah, you might be the the chillest uh, seven figure business owner I've ever had on this podcast. So I think it's uh, it's funny that that you've been able to do all of this and still kind of maintain that lifestyle that you you I guess originally wanted from the get go. I think that's important to kind of stick to the reason why you got started in the first place. Um, so thanks so much for your time, Shazim. So pcgamingrace.com, dot com again is the website. Anywhere else you recommend a listeners check out? They want to follow along with what you're up to.
1: Uh no, nah, man, this piece is getting
0: raised. I'm pretty, I'm out social media. Cool. Awesome. All right, again, thanks so much for your time. All right, man. Thank you, Felix. Thanks for listening to Shopify Masters, the e-commerce marketing podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs. To start your store today, visit shopify.com slash masters to claim your extended 30-day free trial.